At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo. We have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. In our mission and kind of our quest and our vision for an alternate healthcare system, we get talking to a lot of people who say, well, I see what you're all doing on the primary care side, but is that applicable to physicians across specialties, subspecialties? Where does it end? Where do we have to rely on really the medical industrial complex to support physicians? And one of those that always comes up without fail is anesthesiology, amongst other things. And so lo and behold, our prayers were answered and we were contacted by a great individual by the name of Naveen Goyle, co-founder of Offer Health and the co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital. And kind of a bolt out of the sky, Naveen, you submitted it and said, hey, here's my background, starting out with anesthesiology and dental practices and then moving into really mobile anesthesia and and conquering the world from there, offering mobile services to people that are high access and low cost. So Naveen, thanks so much for reaching out to us. Like I said, it was kind of a thunderbolt out of the sky after we started asking ourselves that. It's a pleasure to have you here on the show. Chris, thanks for having me. Um, I used to practice anesthesia, but my goal is not to put anyone to sleep today. So here we go. All right. I didn't know you're coming in here with jokes, but I like the start here. So Naveen, somebody might listen to that, what I, what I just said and said, okay, all right, how are we going to connect the dots here? What's going on? What gives? So give us that origin story when you went from practicing and then you kind of found a niche and then said, you know what, there's something here. I'm going to exploit this and I'm going to, I'm going to keep moving forward. Yeah. So I practiced uh, anesthesiology in a private practice here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, for several years, became a medical director of one of our hospitals and started getting into leadership positions and learned a lot about myself. Um, in the meantime, I had a few dentists that were friends of mine uh, who ran more high-end cosmetic dentistry practices who wanted anesthesia services to their practice. And they said, you know, people come from different geographical areas and they're anxious. They always request anesthesia of some sort and the dental world is very different than the medical world in the sense of who's able to give some IV sedation or other aspects of anesthesia and so one thing we realized was there's not a similar standard in medicine and dentistry they're very different and and different is what I'll say I mean it's and and so the opportunity was hey there's not really a lot of anesthesiologists who are putting their eyes and ears and even knowledge into the dental world And from what we've heard from our dental friends, they actually wanted more services from the anesthesia world. 
So we, uh, we, when I say we, it's myself and two other co-founders of this company we started. We were all anesthesiologists. We knew the practice of medicine anesthesia. We didn't know, didn't know anything about business. And so we looked into providing anesthesia services in a dental practice, what that entailed. And it's not like, you know, picking up a little toolbox and walking over and saying, all right, let's do this. It's a lot of planning processes. It's getting insurance. I mean, to take care of a patient in America today, it's, it's you know, a lot of risk mitigation, all these kind of things you need to think about. So we were very buttoned up in the way we approached it being OCD anal anesthesiologists, which is what we're trained to do is think about A to Z. And so walking into a dental practice, which, you know, historically doesn't do a lot of anesthesia type procedures, um, we kind of had to create that from scratch. And so we ended up uh, starting this company. This was technically a side gig. We were all full time at our anesthesia practices, but we started it. We got other anesthesiologists to do these shifts is what we called them. Um, And so they would do two, three, four hour anesthesia cases at the dental practice after we set everything up. And uh, we went from there and that became something beyond a side gig. It strikes me as really remarkable because in a field that is really dominated people's perceptions, it's like, oh, well, you have have this really cold room, you know, you got a bunch of people who are unconscious and whatever kind of misconceptions they have. But it seems like it is very capital intensive. How are you able to take what you know, take your experience, your education, and boil it down into some place, something that you can walk into a dental office that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, probably didn't have all this, all the equipment and everything necessary, like a surgery center is kind of what I'm thinking. Probably didn't have that, but yet you're able to deliver a great service to people. Yeah. So when you look at it, let's look at costs and let's look at an operating room. An operating room, wherever that is, a surgery center, a hospital, is a very high cost center. And it doesn't mean that when you walk in, every piece of equipment is so expensive, but there is a premium to everything. But there's a reason behind that because everything is costs so much because of years of, so, there's so much to, to, to work there. But if you were to just buy the supplies on your own, the equipment on your own, bring your expertise and truly reinvent a healthcare services model, which is what we had to do, it's not as expensive as you think because what that high cost center and operating room is paying for are a ton of people who are working outside of the operating room. A ton of, hey, the operating room makes a lot of money and these areas lose money, so we need to overcompensate. So it's insane and unsustainable for an operating room to be the room to do procedures. And so when you start looking at it that way, you realize that what procedures really need to be inside an operating room. And so when you look at the dental world and you look at, let's say, a five-year-old kid who has dental extractions and, you know, they get diagnosed in their dental practice and the dentist says, there needs to be some extractions. We need to send you to an operating room. And the reason they're going to an operating room is because they need anesthesia because they're not going to sit there in a chair and then tolerate that. So they're going to go off to sleep in an operating room because anesthesia, anesthesia personnel, anesthesiologist, whoever's there at the moment, will put them off to sleep. And then the dentist and all the supplies and etc. will be done to fulfill that procedure. There is nothing about the sterile operating room, which is the high cost room that is contributing to that procedure. So what we did was, was say, what if we brought the anesthesiologist, 
And, and now, you know, today we bring a nurse and a paramedic to help set up, etc. We bring the equipment, supplies, and we are able to save a lot of cost. And we're running it in a for-profit model with accountability. For-profit, accountability, and then we, you know, the dental practices, the insurance companies, they're all our customers which say, hey, we want to save money. We want to make sure we're doing our part. How do we constantly improve? So we do monthly, you know, we have peer review. We have processes to help improve. And I'll tell you right now, from a medical director standpoint of a hospital and being on the board of my anesthesia group for several years, the conversations are very different. It's like, how can I make sure this metric is okay so when Jayco comes next year, we're good? It's not about how can we completely reinvent and reduce the cost so more people can enter our operating rooms? It's just different questions. I want to dive in on that one because what we, what we try to fight a lot is this misconception that for-profit healthcare is this boogeyman out there and they're just going to be greedy and they don't care if people live or people survive and they don't care if they bankrupt people. But on the other hand, nonprofit kind of charitable hospital organizations care like that. They get a completely free pass to not pay taxes, send people to collections, bankrupt them. Now, you mentioned something that's like the conversations in those boardrooms are completely different. Give us a little bit more insight than what you just did on try to convince somebody out there listening that, you know what, for profit is not a bad thing. That's not a dirty word out there. And, oh, by the way, we're able to potentially do it better than any nonprofit out there just because we're motivated. Yeah, so I have a crystal clear, I mean, it it took years for for me to process this, but this is how I explain it. For-profit is something that can be sustainable. It's not relying on donors. It's not relying on overcharging certain things to be running. It's constantly revisiting to make sure that money coming in is paying for all the expenses and then making profit to continue to grow and get better. For a nonprofit, foundations, etc., they have money and they rely on donors, which is fine by the way, when people care about a cause and they say, hey, I want to feed kids in various communities and they donate to a foundation or a, a nonprofit. I love that, by the way, but what I don't love is you don't know if that place is going to be up and running a couple years from now. You know why? Because they're relying on donors. Now, what they're doing, their intention and their execution of feeding kids, let's say, in that community is awesome. But if you were to build a for-profit model on that, where let's say you're selling other products in a grocery store and some of those proceeds are going to feeding the kids in a community. And so now you have a product that's selling and making money and you're able to continue that cause and intention. I would have more confidence in that being around several years from now. And so when you think about things that way, at least for me, it changes the way I look at for-profit. For-profit to me is taking your intention and purpose and building it intelligently so it's sustainable. That's it. And we can, I mean, mean, you know, when you hear for-profit, like you said, sometimes it's considered a dirty word, but I'll tell you right now, being a founder of three different companies and investing in over 60 different companies, all for-profit, my gosh, there is so many things that you're accountable for. And if you're not doing well, you fail and you putter out. It's not like this unlimited amount of money coming in, but that's what I see in the nonprofit world, especially with hospitals and healthcare centers. The, the hospital system that I was working at was a nonprofit. 
They have so much money sitting in accounts. The cost of care is so crazy. So there's really no accountability and connection yet. There's so much money there. And if we took some of that money that's in these nonprofit accounts and put them towards for-profit purpose-driven companies, like we're taking care of kids on Medicaid in four different states today. They have a 12-month wait in Ohio. They have the 22 to 24-month wait in Chicago. And we are doing this within one month in their own community. So if they're two hours away from a hospital, we're going there and enabling that care. All I'm saying is that's a for-profit company. Now, Naveen, I, I, I don't want anybody to gloss over what you just said there because you're an evil capitalist, right? But yet yep. your main patients are kids on Medicaid who have anywhere from, let me know, see if I get this right, a 10 to two year, 10 month to two year wait for surgery center and hospitals. Yet you were able to get those done with in how much time? What's their, what's their wait time month. reduced to when they're working with you? From 10 months to 24 months to within one month. That's astronomical. And, and, That's and huge. The, and, yeah. And, and the other thing is these kids, as they're waiting, do you think they're sitting at home like totally fine or they're in pain? They're not eating. They're causing a lot of stress for everybody and, and a parent's suffering because they're seeing their kids suffer. And guess what? They're also going to the ER a lot because they're in pain and they can't get their procedure done because they're on a wait list. So if you look at just economics, you're saving a lot of money from not utilizing all these unnecessary resources. You're alleviating pain and suffering from the child as well as the family that cares about them. And then you're also offloading the high cost center for doing like, hey, if, if you need a total shoulder replacement, you need a sterile operating room for that and you need certain staff, etc. You let those high cost centers, you, at least for today, at least for this moment, do these bigger procedures. But we don't need to have these procedures that don't need a sterile operating room, we don't need to add those to the list of a hospital. Let the hospital be for the larger emergency, etc. But I think I think the pandemic has kind of shown us that the hospitals get overloaded. And so we need to stratify the system and say, okay, what can be done in the home and the office and the community and whatever needs to absolutely go to the hospital, let's do that. But that's just, we're just increasing the filter here. And from the hospital standpoint, it doesn't seem like a youth dental procedure is going to be a really high priority if somebody needs a quadruple bypass and heart surgery, right? I mean, just the economics of it, you're not going to be billing as much from the hospital standpoint. So, you know, where do these type of procedures fall when they are looking from an OR before your company came around? That's a great question. They're just on a backlog. I mean, I'll tell you right now, and it's getting worse because rural hospitals are starting to go out uh, out of business. Yeah, and there's so no option, right? <laughs> There's, there's no options. It's crazy. And, and to answer your question about the priority, that's the reason there's a 24-month wait, and let's say in Chicago, for a, a dental case to go in an operating room. Because since uh, Medicaid pays so low, since dental procedures pay so low, there's zero incentivization for a hospital system to, to do those. Or I should say minimal, let's call it. So that's the reason there's a wait. It's not because there's not people operating in a in an operating room or that's taken up. It's just that it's very low on priority. And actually, philosophically and high level as a physician, I actually, I think it's silly that dental and medical are separate. I actually think it's all connected. It, it really is, oral systemic health is a, is a real thing, but we've kind of accepted these two worlds. And, and yet 
Whatever causes pain and disease in my mouth affects the rest of my body, and yet we completely separate it. So dental is, is very underserved, and it's completely connected, and we're looking at comprehensive health of people, and, and including kids. We need to have all that looked at and stratify what we need to do preventatively as well as treatment-wise. We're talking to Naveen Goyal, co-founder of Offer Health, co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital. I should say Dr. Naveen Goyle. Uh, my apologies there. So. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> He's seen the light come to the business side of it. Um, you just made an interesting point that when anybody talks about any type of insurance coverage or even an employer benefit, we say, well, it's vision, dental, and then medical. And I'm thinking, you know what? If I have a problem with my teeth and I'm not eating, I can't get proper nutrition, that's a serious quality of life issue right there that affects pretty much everything. We all pretty much have to eat. Same thing with eyes, you know, if like I have an issue with my eyes and why are those things separated? I mean, there's got to be some kind of history to that. And I think that might be something we, we need to dive into at a different time. But I'm just curious, have you come across anybody who says kind of the same thing of, I'm not really sure why we separate those. Yeah, I mean, it's just historical and I don't know if it's lobbying or structures, but whatever it is today, you just have to revisit why the heck. How does this make sense? How does this make sense that I go to a dentist, I trust them, I build a relationship, and I, I only get my teeth assessed. And then I'll make a different appointment, time, you know, whatever later, and I'll go get a primary care checkup. It's actually a large, it's a spectrum. To me, it should be, hey, I have limited time as a person. The more appointments I have, the less probability I have of going to all of them. So why don't we capture that built relationship and try to get as much care as we can in one setting in the sense of preventative care, et cetera. Like why am I not getting regular blood pressure and kind of something checked out before I'm getting my dental appointment at the same place? Like that's how I'm starting to think about it. And, and you know, when you think about access to care, there's two things. Number one, not having people or transportation or things for that patient who wants care. And then there's, the patient not wanting to get care because lack of education, scared, anxiety, which I understand. Those two components, we need to take advantage of. We need more services and people in one spot, closer to people, closer to community, because time, logistics, all those are real things. And then we need to know that people have limited trust in other people. It's scary. Healthcare, I was talking with two eighth graders yesterday that I'm mentoring. Healthcare is scary. Like people don't wanna go there or sit and wait for bad news. And, and so we need to take advantage of every episode that a, a person who has this anxiety going to a dentist, a physician, and try to do as much care possible there for the long-term health of everybody, right? Mm -hmm. I've always been jealous of dentists um, coming from our world in primary care, mostly concentration there that, you know, I look at a dentist and, and kind of we tell them what we're doing on the Freedom Health Work side with, you know, direct primary care and direct care and membership-based medicine. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Like, and I start laughing. I'm like, well, you guys have this all like kind of just all all powerful marketing message that convinces people to come in every six months. Do you know how hard primary care doctors have to fight to get people in their office to actually take an assessment of a lot of different health systems, not just one specific one? And they usually laugh. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, by the way, because I think right now the dentists have it easy. I want to talk, you know, focus, you know, last question here on, on the dental practices that you see, and then, you know, talk a little bit about where you guys are, are expanding there. But 
From the dental standpoint, did you see the opportunity specifically from dental practices or was there a certain type of a how they do business compared to any other type of medical specialty or medical other medical primary care? They said, you know what, dental is the way to go to kick off a mobile anesthesia company. Yeah, it's a great question. No, I would say it's it's more than need. You know, the backlog, there's a lot of dentists who know this world that, gosh, if I had anesthesia in my office, I could do so much. Instead, I'm once a month, I go to the hospital, I'm waiting forever, and I take care of a couple kids that, that need to be in the operating room. So it was a huge problem. And again, the opportunity when, when we were talking with dentists, they presented that problem. Now that we've built the infrastructure, the logistics, you can imagine transporting medications, temperature controlled, um, you have your, your supplies, you have your anesthesia you know, machine, we have a nurse, a paramedic, an anesthesiologist, we have a full team. So we have you know, kind of clinical expertise coming, we have logistical expertise, and then you know, to be able to, to recruit and improve and all these kind of processes, foundationally we've built that business. And so we've built all these service potential. And so we're doing a lot of kids and, and adults in dental practices today. And now we can start bringing other experts into that same logistical operation into the community and provide more services. Again, that do not have to be done either in an operating room or a high cost center. So when we're talking about gastroenterology, women's health, dermatology, orthopedic surgery, We've talked to a lot of individuals and they said, oh my gosh, my office, if I had anesthesia services or other um, specialists come into my practice and be able to enable that care, oh my gosh, I would love that. And so you have the the physicians and, and dentists who want that. You have to make sure that the people you recruit, the experts, right? So if you have a gastroenterologist who's working in a hospital, they have all their equipment there. They know exactly what they're, you know, which patients they're going to see. We need to have that same experience. So we have a full team just on provider experience. And so it's using technology uh, for scheduling. It's making sure when I'm there, I know exactly who my list is. They've been pre-opt, all, all these kind of kinds of things that we had at the hospital. And then as soon as you think of offsite, which is anything outside of the, the main area where you do your procedures, uh, procedure rooms or operating rooms, it's usually a substandard. It's usually like, oh, no one really goes there very often. There's not as much equipment. There's not as much people. So we're changing that. We're saying, no, no, no. We want no sacrifice. Now, we need to be creative because it's a different space and it's in a different community. But everything else needs to be really great standards for enabling good care. Do you believe there's enough entrepreneurial spirit that continues to exist in the medical community to accomplish everything that you just mentioned? I do, but I will say this. Leaving my medical practice has given me a wide scope of real like problems that I had no idea that were happening. So I was walking into the hospital as an anesthesiologist. I'd have a full schedule. Like we'd be very busy. It would not make me think about how many people were outside the hospital who were not getting anesthesia care. Okay. And maybe that was just me, but that's my perspective. When I left or as I was, you know, helping build SmileMD, I was start, starting to talk to people, starting to talk to more dentists, starting to talk to patients. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a real issue. Another thing that we did for Offer Health is we brought in a CEO who's a non-healthcare person. He's an old friend from Ohio State. I was in uh, San Francisco for 10 years working at a tech company. He wanted to run a company for his next stage of life. 
and we ended up talking and you know he agreed and moved uh, to Columbus to help run the company. So his perspective is, wow, healthcare is really broken in the way I see it. Like, I can't believe this stuff costs this much. I can't believe it takes so long to get paid for this. I, and it's a fresh set of eyes. And so what that did is, is remind us that it's really good to have different perspectives. So to answer your question with a very long answer is, I do think there's a lot of entrepreneurs, but I think it's really important to incorporate a diverse set of people and experiences because that's how you can build from scratch. And I think that for any business, by the way, when we're talking about college and education, which is its own animal and healthcare, its own animal. I mean, healthcare and education are very similar. Very similar. Teachers are leaving, physicians are leaving. The structure is not serving its original intention of it's educating students. expensive beyond all wildest. Health, yeah, healthcare is not serving the original intention to take care of patients. Dude, like these structures are failing, so we need entrepreneurs to freaking go. Yeah, they, I, I'm glad you went there because we always say like, all right, let's. It, well, I mean, first of all, this is why we have a show in the first place. This is why we decided to start to tell these stories because the more you dig, the more it can be very. Uh, I'm going to say oppressive. In that knowledge, of like, oh my gosh, I just feel so insignificant. How can I make an impact on healthcare? And a lot of people just keep their head down and grin and bear it. I'm one of those people that's like, look, if you're somebody who complains about politics, but you've never run for an office, hey, you're part of the problem, right? Don't don't tell me you're complaining about something, but you don't vote or you never got involved. You know, same thing with healthcare on that side. And, you know, we talk to people of all walks of life, patients, um, insurance, brokers, actual companies themselves who are footing the bills, physicians. And, you know, my message is, well, when's the last time you asked the price when you walked into any type of medical office? You know, doctor, hey, when's the last time you gave somebody a price for what you're recommending? When's the last time you checked a price for referrals that you're sending out? But people like you is exactly, this is exactly what we need to say, look, we're not going to play back in the old sandbox. It's broken. Let's go try something else. Let's go have fun. Did you ever have anybody, um, when you're talking about this, who said, Naveen, that's not going to work. You're crazy. Hell yeah. Of course. I thrive on that. I love to talk about that. I had partners at my anesthesia practice who were like, what? What are you doing? That's crazy. How do you really get to assess the patient? And, and by the way, that's fine. And, and did it create some doubts in my mind? Hell yeah, it did. Did it stop me? No. Having doubts is great. It makes you revisit. Like, am I doing the freaking right thing? And, and I'll tell you, three anesthesiologists before touching a patient, it took us six months of a bazillion scenarios, thinking about this, thinking about that. And, and we're constantly improving. We're not perfect today, but we're constantly improving. But it's, that's what it's about. But yeah, now I will tell you, there's a few uh, anesthesiologists who, who had doubts who are now doing some shifts for us. And, and that's okay. There's, there's no hate there. But I just tell people, people question you, keep going, but listen to them, revisit it. Just don't let it stop you. Don't let fear stop you. And, and, and maybe if you fall on your face, that's fine because there's plenty of times that will happen. And even if this doesn't work, hey, that's okay. But at least you tried and I promise you, you will learn something in general and you will learn about yourself, which are lifelong skill sets to have. So when people have all these ideas, but they've never tried anything on their own, like I'm, I'm very quick to tell them, like, what have you moved forward on? And if you haven't, do it today. Like move forward on something. So give us a glimpse into the future here, looking at Crystal Ball. What's next for Offer Health? Where are you going? What markets? What services? And how does that fit into your vision of what a perfect health care system can be? 
Yeah, so so Offer Health is currently in four states. We're about to enter our fifth state. Our majority of our business today is enabling dental procedures in, in various offices. We are now starting various pilots since we have nurses, paramedics, and physicians. For the state of Ohio, we've been giving vaccines to folks in their houses who didn't have transportation or had some other factors where they needed it. So we're already doing that. And so what can we do with regards to using these great, highly skilled people and equipment and logistics and get and enable care where it can be closer to the community, whether it's in the home and the office is where we see a lot of demand and people who already are, are central to that. And how can you offload this expensive healthcare system? You will always need a hospital, but does the hospital look different in the future? I, I do believe so. Because when you start taking out all these more simple procedures that cost so much money, we can start carving out the fat of a hospital. Maybe that's maybe optimistic, but I definitely see more services um, and healthcare being you know proactive and instead of reactive in the communities. I love the thought of that and kind of extending the challenge into hospitals there that we've had a lot of consolidation and then you know what, it's not really working. You mentioned rural healthcare before, so I absolutely appreciate you know what you're doing and just showing people that hey, this can be successful. I'm I'm doing kind of marching my the the, uh, the the beat of my own drum here, but it is working. It is it is it is going and actually it's making impact it's on working. life. It's creating a better service for people and and helping some of the most uh, financially vulnerable amongst us. So, Dr. Naveen Goyal, co-founder of Offer Health, co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital. Appreciate you taking time to join us here on Healthcare Americana and tell your story. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate the discussion. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We are on all of them. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com. Catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and visit our fantastic online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. We'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.